So welcome, everyone. This uh, this is Authors on the Air. I'm James Latwell, your guest host uh, today, and it's my absolute pleasure to, to, to sit and chat with uh, Adam. Adam Platanga, this is his first uh, debut novel, but it's not his first book. Uh, Adam's first book was 400 Things Cops Know. Uh, it was nominated for an Agatha Award, won the 2015 Silver Falchion Award for Best Nonfiction Crime Reference. It was hailed as truly excellent by author... Lee Child, which, you know, is, is not bad, um, and deemed the new Bible for crime writers by the Wall Street Journal. His second book, also nonfiction, is Police Craft. Uh, Platenga began his career in law enforcement in 2001 as a Milwaukee police officer. He's currently a sergeant with the San Francisco Police Department assigned to street patrol, and he lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife, daughters, and a chow chow named Ziggy. And the ascent that we're going to talk about today is his debut novel. So welcome, Adam. Uh, many thanks for having me, Jim. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Uh, Adam, Adam and I met uh, a few years back. Uh, I think the first time was at uh, one of the Book Passage Mystery Writers Conferences where you, we were on a panel together, and then we connected at BoucherCon in Dallas and uh, it's been a while, so it's good to see you. Yeah, you too, for sure. Yeah. Well, I have my my Adam scrapbook material here. And, uh, scrapbooking. Uh, yeah, scrapbooking. I'll, I'll send this to you. This is your Publishers Weekly um, review. It was a starred and boxed review for, for your book, which is uh, a way to hit it out of the park on your debut novel. That's, that's outstanding. <laughs> but it says, uh, you know, this is a knockout novel from a San Francisco police sergeant. And then it uh, it ends with, uh, you know, once readers catch their breath, they'll be clamoring for more from this rising star. So way to way to hit it right out of the gate. I mean, did you did you expect this kind of a reception when when the book uh, was coming was coming out? Um, I mean, the sh the short answer is no. I mean, I knew my. I mean, I I, I was proud of what I had written. I, I believed in it, but the only thing I was really sure about was that my my mom would probably buy a bunch of copies. Um, everything over and on top of that has just been a, a really nice surprise. Yeah, but no, I, I mean it's been uh, it's been pretty well received. You got some great blurbs on the back from you know James Rollins, Lou Burney, uh, Nancy Allen, and Nick Petrie. I mean it's uh, that's kind of a, a murderer's row of endorsements there. Congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. You know, I and I, I I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well, but I've. I found the writing community to be a very generous community. Um, and, you know, when you're reaching out to people for potential blurbs, it's always sort of this, you know, you, you, you realize that it's a really an imposition on people's time. So you're taking advantage of their generosity. Um, and it's just been really nice to see um, people being willing to step up and, and help out people, especially someone like me who's at the starting line. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I think you're right. The community is is much more than I expected it to be. I mean, we come from similar backgrounds in law enforcement, and that's not what I expected to walk into this this whole new business model. I expected it to be more, you know, competitive and backstabbing, you know, which was what we actually dealt with on the streets usually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, completely different, and it's uh, it's really refreshing. Yeah, it is. Um... You know, I think of uh, kind of like what you had just said. I remember, you know, like my brother, for instance, went to law school and he, you know, 
ultra competitive. He would tell me stories about how there'd be a project and someone would go to the law school library, tear out the page that everyone needed to see from the book and keep it for themselves. So right. I was right. wondering, would, would it be something like that, you know, but um, it's sort of, you know, the old saying, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. There seems to be sort of that just sense of, of cooperation. And um, it is. And maybe, you know, uh, successful um, uh, authors who have been around the block for a while, you know, maybe they remember how it was when they first started out um, and that people helped them and they're just sort of passing it forward. But I think I think, I think really there's, the there's, a, there's a grain of, of truth to that. Yeah, that, I think that's very true. And let, let's jump into um, your book, the, the Ascent. And I mean, Kurt Argento is your is your main character. And he's an ex-cop from Detroit. And that first chapter that you have in the book is really packed with little nuggets of, you know, kind of day-to-day work on the job and what, what he experienced. And how much of that was drawn from your personal history as a, as a cop, both in uh, Milwaukee and here in the Bay Area? Yeah. Uh, I mean, qu- quite a bit. It's, uh, I mean, the book isn't a police procedural, but the job oh. details... Um, well, I was never a cop in Detroit. Uh, I said it in Detroit because I grew up in Michigan, so I've always been a uh, a Michigan guy. Um, but I think urban police work has a kind of sameness to it. So, an officer from Milwaukee, officer from San Francisco, officer from Detroit, they'll sort of see and know similar things. Um, so, I wanted. Well, I didn't want to write a police procedural. I wanted the my work experience to sort of uh, inform the book. So, I, I drew pretty heavily. Um, on my police experience. And, you know, as you know, um, in, in your past line of work in corrections, in law enforcement, you encounter a lot of folks who are locked up and you get to sort of understand how criminals are and how they act and think. And um, so I use some of that as well um, in the pages. I mean, there, there are things I've heard at work that are pretty much direct quotes that I dropped into the book. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty rich um, backdrop to draw from. Yeah, you could you could really get that texture uh, right away in the book. Just just little things that you sprinkled in there, like um, there's a scene in the locker room in that first chapter where Argento says that you know only the only the brass you know shine their boots kind of thing. Uh, yeah. You know that says a lot about about him and and the organization. But I thought it was really well really well done. Uh, could you tell us a little bit without giving too much away about, about the book, about a set and what, uh, what Kurt faces? So <clears throat> at the beginning of the book, he is, um, he's in a bad way. He's had a personal loss in his life <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, getting over a little bit of a head cold, like. I think half of America right now. <laughs> exactly. So he runs into some trouble in the book already in chapter one, and then is basically given the choice to resign or be fired. So he <clears throat> he leaves a job, gets in his truck, um, and takes off. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, Jim. Nope, no problem. Uh, on, a, on a road trip out west just with his dog. And along the way, he runs afoul of a corrupt local sheriff's department, gets incarcerated on some trumped up charges. And then while he's in this prison, 
the prison's automatic security system fails uh, quite spectacularly. And he has to team up with some other folks in the book to try to uh, get some folks to safety from point A to point B through some floors of some very dangerous folks, which is actually where you, uh, Jim, were so instrumental. I remember us sitting down together at uh, Bontracon in Dallas <coughs> and me just peppering you with questions with your former experience in corrections and as a warden. And uh, <coughs> you were instrumental. Oh, well, thanks. No, I, I, I kind of see where you were, where you were talking, even back there in, in 2019 when we were first talking about it. Um, yeah, there was this this idea of a, of a cop, ex-cop, going into a, a very unusual situation and kind of, you know, he's, he's definitely not in his element. So he's got to learn, uh, you know, right from the gate here to, to do something a little different. So yeah, it it, uh, it sets it up for suspense right away. One of the things you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago was that you uh, didn't write a police procedural. And a lot of folks from our background, when they start to write something or they decide to do that, they jump right away into that police procedural vein. Um, this is not that. This is this is a straight up thriller and it's it's really well done. But what was it about that? that drew you as opposed to going into a police procedural vein? <coughs> I, <coughs> I'm sorry, I got to take a quick cough drop break. No, no problem. Out. Yep. So I'll do something you. here. So yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about why why you chose the thriller format instead of uh, a police procedural. So I uh, just being a working cop, you know, especially after I wrote two nonfiction books about law enforcement. You know, I have the job sort of coming out of my ears. You know, so when I got home, it's nice to sort of put it to the side and not have to think about it. Right. Um, but when I wrote a book, I wanted to have some separation between work and my writing. Right. So I didn't want to write a police procedural, but I also wanted to use some of the things that I see and know on the job to inform the main character. <coughs> so I tried to yeah, have sort of the best did. of both worlds. Yeah, and I, I think you do that. You balance it really well. I mean, there's there's some of the things that, that Argento has in his background that kind of come come out, but it's uh, it's not that uh, that straight up police procedural that we see. And you know, a lot of a lot of cops for their first book when they when they do it, they kind of overdo it on the on the procedural aspects, and and you see that where you kind of get lost in all these policies and procedures, which you know, as we both know. You could bore the bark off a tree with that if you. <laughs> right. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kurt was a pretty self-assured cop. You put him in a place where he's, you know, totally out of his element. How did you? How did you come up with the idea to put him in that place as opposed to just, you know, another city somewhere? <laughs> um, when you say that place, you mean the the, the private prison? prison the yeah. Um, I wanted him to 
be <clears throat> in a spot that was incredibly challenging to him, um, that presented with a lot of threats and where he could use his sort of, I mean, sort of a, <clears throat> a distinct set of skills being a 20 plus year cop with stints on SWAT and street crimes. So he could use his uh, police training and experience to, to be helpful to the group. Um, and I've always been fascinated by stories where a group of people are sometimes sort of dissimilar, have to band together to get from point A to point B uh, through sort of treacherous terrain. Right. Um, even in a movie like Aliens, I, I love those kind of stories. And uh, <coughs> I'm especially interested in stories that are that sort of ratchet up the intensity and where there's um, there's danger and stress and how that affects the characters, how they hold up under intense danger and stress. Um, some people surprise you, some people fold. Uh, I'm, uh, oh, there's, there's the lads. I think I just heard them. <laughs> yep. You're uh, your corgis um the corgis yep yeah. so so that's that's the background that i wanted to uh, to have uh, for argento yeah i mean it, it really it's effective the way you did it as as i was reading the book it if i had to parallel with anything um i mean publishers weekly made a made a kind of a a comparison to the jack reacher kind of kind of character but to me it came across more as a mix of Prison Break meets The Hunger Games, and you know, and let the people you know run through this, this maze and gauntlet they've got to do to survive. It was it was really kind of an intriguing uh, the way that you put it together it was really really well done. Yeah, thank you. I like that. Yeah, I think feel, I'm, feel I'm, gonna you, send that, I'm gonna send that to my my promotional team. <laughs> Good deal. Um, in writing this uh, this story, what was the most challenging part for you um, to create this story? You know, I felt <clears throat> like I was on pretty solid ground with the main character um, in sort of the right what you know camp. Mm -hmm. But it is, I mean, it is sort of an ensemble piece. There's one of the, uh, uh, one of the other prominent characters is uh, uh, Julie Wakefield, who's the governor of Missouri's daughter. Right. was in the prison on a field trip for her graduate class. And she was a character I worked really hard on. Um, you know, <clears throat> writing a female character is something I haven't had, I'm, who's that prominent, I didn't, haven't had a lot of experience with that. Um, I've had no shortage of, you know, tough, competent women in my own life that I could use as role models from my wife to my mom to female cops that I work with. Right. Um, so I, I, I put the work in on that. Although <laughs> I remember there was one, uh, uh, <clears throat> there was one passage I had written with, with Julie, the, the, the female protagonist. And I gave it to my editor, who's also a strong and competent woman. I'm sorry, to my literary agent. And she read it and uh, her feedback to me was, uh, and this was in a draft, it was something like, uh, yeah, this is not something that women do or say. This is not 
how women yeah. are. So I thought, oh, oh, oh dear. Well, I better, I better fine tune that. So it, it's nice to be part of a team, you know. It, it is. Yeah, I I need that same check and balance too uh, when yeah. I write uh, female characters. That's that's awesome. Now, you you mentioned in in, in the book and and it, and you talked about it earlier is you toured San Quentin to kind of get your your head in the frame of what this place was going to look like. What was the biggest surprise to you when you went on a tour of, of San Quentin there in the Bay Area? You know, I I didn't quite know what to expect. Um, you know, in, in my line of work, I, you know, I spent a lot of time in county jail, but once someone's in right. state prison, police don't have a lot of follow-up with them. So I think that one of the things that struck me so much was you know, it's San Quentin. Some of the worst of the worst are locked up there. And uh, <clears throat> I know that those folks have, you know, they're there because they've committed uh, significant wrongs against society. But, you know, in talking to some inmates and talking to the guards who led the tour, there were some inmates there who seemed generally remorseful for the crimes they had committed. Um, there was a, a concentration on programming there, everything from uh, a running club to their own newspaper, where <clears throat> it was a real, I think, um, valid effort to try to leave people better than they found them, you know, because that's that's what you want in prison, right? It, it's incapacitation, but if, you, if there's a way to sort of put people in a better spot when if they're going to be released and that's that's everyone's goal so yeah i mean the, the prison in my book it's a private prison it's terribly run it's understaffed it has a horrific security system so everything goes all sorts of wrong but it's that's a fictional prison you know there are right. institutions out there and you know you would be able to speak to this better than i um where it's it's competent committed people who are um all on the same page and trying to you know we have to keep these people away from society but we also have to work with them a little bit too they're not lost causes we're not going to throw them away right no i thought you i thought you handled it well in in describing the the prison that you threw kurt into and um i really liked the the way you kind of ratcheted up the tension with each level of the prison that he had to go up to 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 try to get his his escape route out uh, it really built the tension really well. I, I, I like that. Thanks, Jim. Yep. Now, are we going to see another Kurt Argento novel? Whether you want it or not, it's coming. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, so my uh, my literary agent uh, was able to get a, a, a two-book um, contract with my publisher. So there is another uh, book coming out um, maybe in – at some time in 2025 uh same character kurt argento he gets himself in a different set of trouble because he finds it hard to relax um but he's a character i'm quite fond of so i'd be happy to keep writing him as long as readers are still interested in reading about him so that's great no I, i'm glad to hear yeah. that uh, there's there's at least at least one more hopefully more uh beyond that yeah. coming so that's that's awesome now you you wrote the early nonfiction uh, work, and now you're you've kind of come to the dark side of, of the fiction 
part of the, the dark the side. The dark side. Um, how was that transition for you? Did that did that experience writing the nonfiction help you, or did it kind of get in the way of writing uh, fiction? I think it helped in that anytime you're writing, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, you're taking a lot of sort of loose, unorganized material and making some sense of it. Um, I did find it more freeing in a way to write fiction um, because you can take the story and run with it. You can go anywhere you want. But, right. you know, there, there's also rules to writing. Um, and some of those I had sort of internalized from having done a lot of reading myself, but others you have to sort of pick up along the way. I mean, there's sort of cliches and tropes you want to try to avoid, you know, kind of sticking to a three act um, narrative structure. Right. Uh, you know, that's all stuff that um, you have to try to kind of learn on the fly. And I had a lot of folks that were helpful with that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to say something that, is gonna be possibly somewhat controversial, maybe even shocking, but writing a novel is, uh, well, it's really hard. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not like uh, I just ripped it right off. Um, I had a lot of folks that read early drafts and gave me great feedback. Um, you know, it, it sort of, a, it takes a village approach. Uh, my editor made it better, my agent made it better. Um, yeah. No one does this stuff by themselves. No, that's that's very true. And if you were to give someone who's aspiring to be a, a fiction author, you know, like you, uh, if you give them one piece of advice to send them on the right path, what would that be? Boy, you know, I think, um, and I should take one step back, you know, The Ascent is my debut novel, but I've written, um, I've written five other novels. Um, they are all unpublished. They are of varying degrees of quality. Most of them should just stay buried deep in my back drawer. Yep, got a couple of those. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of those, my early efforts, um, I found myself just sort of, you know, they were they were sort of thrillers fiction, but I found myself just sort of copying. They're sort of pale imitations of authors who I really admired. You know, Robert B. Parker, Spencer. Right. or um, James Lee Burks, Dave Robichaux, um, Harlan Coben, you know, with his twists. I mean, I I don't think I had sort of found my own voice. And that always struck me as a little counterintuitive, like, is it whatever you're writing in your own voice? But I, I don't think that's right. I think you got to kind of dig it out of there a little bit. Yeah. So I guess my advice would be, and I guess this is different for everybody, but you got to find your own voice. You got to find your own story. Um, you might be writing a story similar to someone else's, but you got to put your own stamp on it. Oh, very, very well said. No, that's great advice. We'll, we'll end up here with three, what I'm going to call three quick hits. And I'm going to ask okay. you three quick questions, uh, primarily about Kurt. And put so you put yourself in his head. Um, so what's Kurt's favorite cocktail? He likes a Lowenbrow. That's his uh, favorite beer. The fact that it's somewhat hard to get just makes it all the more attractive to him. <laughs> Love it. What's his favorite music or his favorite band? Metallica. He goes pretty hard in the weight room, so that's what's playing that. in the background. Yeah. Okay. And the, we'll switch up a little bit uh, to you. 
what's your favorite non-writing activity? Uh, I think probably the thing I like doing more than anything is watching my daughters play sports, uh, whether it's uh, soccer or volleyball, um, like being the family guy on the sidelines. That's good yep. stuff. That's what it's good all about. Deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for folks who haven't followed Adam on social media, uh, on Twitter in particular, you're really missing something. He, he does a great job on Twitter, kind of capturing the day-to-day -day stuff that, that uh, officers see on the street and putting it in a way that it helps you understand it. But also there's some there's some really dry humor moments that come through, and it's, it's really well done. So where else can people find you and connect with you online? Uh, I am primarily on Twitter. Um, I do have a website that I'm trying to spruce up a little bit. Um, my Facebook is mostly for friends and family, but, uh, you know, I, I imagine you're in this boat too, you know, that there's other, you know, there's Instagram and TikTok and I'm sort of <clears throat> a little wary of those. I don't know if I want to dip my toe in, but that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I'm sure your, your daughters are trying to drag you to TikTok. I can't wait to see those dance videos. <laughs> Uh, no, you know, <laughs> may that day never arrive. <laughs> I love it. Adam, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, spending some time with us on Authors on the Air. It's been a, it's been a thrill. Thank you very much. You bet. And I, I would like to apologize. Uh, I know I coughed and stuffed a little bit through this interview, but I'd like the main takeaway to be the courage that I showed doing this interview with a mild head cold and your uh, patience and, and grace in receiving me. I, I think it, it will be more interpreted as uh, you're so choked up and emotional over release week of your, of your debut novel that you were just verklempt. So that's what we'll, it was. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Adam, thanks very that. much. And take care, my friend. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thank you for having me.